Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi there. It's another episode of the Glasgow's Green Podcast, a.k.a. GigPod. And thanks for tuning in and giving up your time to listen to us. Like everyone, we're just exasperated with the manager on the team at the moment. But this episode isn't directly taking a swipe at those on the pitch or those in the dugout. The focus in this show will be the gradual decline of Celtic that's been overseen by Peter Lawwell. Discussing that with me today is my good friend Mark, who has a strong opinion on this particular issue. Mark, first off, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Pretty bewildered about the current state uh, of play at Celtic on the pitch. And I think it's easy to, you know comment on the the manager about that and I think as we were talking about previously when you don't have the right players you know you don't have the right investment into your playing staff and you know the on the pitch is it's going to it's going to come across as uh bad results so it's a strange time for Celtic but yeah I, I've always I've always been confused why Peter Lawwell in particular has been held on a pedestal I don't understand why he's, you know, held in such high esteem. Celtic are indeed in a mess. It's an almighty mess this season. And it's fair to say it's been conducted from the top by Peter Lawwell. In your opinion, is he the most culpable man behind this collapse of a season? I think he is, because you can smell his personality coming across. I have to say, you know, it's not any personal vested um, interest in watching Peter Lawwell succeed or not succeed. I mean, clearly, I would, I would rather he succeeds if it means Celtic succeed. I've always, I've always had a feeling of insincerity um, and a confusion over what his role actually is. As far as I'm concerned, this is the CEO. The way in the business world, a CEO, CEO operates is is the leader who reports to the board of directors in order to, you know, make sensible decisions in order to grow. A business but this is football you know I think that's the bit that's always missing. When Peter Lawwell took over from Ian McLeod in 2003 do you know the job title was changed specifically for Lawwell to executive director and the head of operations 
and you had like nothing but success on the pitch as well. So he came in at the right possible time. And when you look at it now, to what he's overseen in the space of what, 17 years, we are nowhere near the stature is what we once were when he came in at that time. The position change in 2003, for in my opinion, was just simply down to that. It was just a part, part of the, the culture change that they were you know, trying to push on and be seen to be more professional or to be seen to be more serious, um, probably in alignment with American business. In terms of the timing of when he took over, that was September 2003, so we just had Seville, um, which was clearly one of the, probably the best Celtic team I can remember in my life that I've, that I've seen. Um, you know, certainly the best era that I can remember because um, there was no other period that I'd seen any. I mean, I grew up right through the, the I remember emphatically the bad days of the Carl McGultons and, you know, the, the regular nine in a row gubbins that we got, you know, and I, I had really brief memories of the 80s teams, particularly the centenary year team. Um, but apart from that, it was bad teams. So the 2003 team was probably the best team that I'd seen. And we went from that point where there was a real momentum where we could have pushed on, should have pushed on. Lawwell comes in and it seems a bit like a gradual decline, particularly with the resources comparatively. Maybe someone can correct me here, um, but I can't think of a commercial deal that Lawwell personally has done that has enhanced the club that you wouldn't have expected anyway, just like, you know, like they have the Eden Mill contracts, you have the other, you know, standard uh, hospitality and um, corporate contracts that Celtic have. There's not much of that that I just simply wouldn't have expected anyway. Um, We talk about the Adidas contract that a lot of people are going mental about, 30 million allegedly being the fee, whereas the fee from New Balance for the same term, I believe it was five years. Um, I mean, I can't find an accurate number on that, but everywhere I look, it says between 25 and 30 million. So, you know, these aren't seismic shifts in commercial contracts. When you consider the the difference in, and and yes, I know I'm not comparing apples for apples down south. They have got huge disparities in terms of TV money that's coming in. But when you look at the commercial contracts getting done down south and, you know, when they go to renew TV deals and corporate deals, there's always huge changes to the, the amount in the next contracts, just, just generally based on inflation. Um, so the idea that signing that Adidas contract is some major, major coup is just, I don't see it. I think it's, I would say for for Celtic, it's a good deal. But I wouldn't say any more than that. I would just say, good deal. Uh, one of the things that we were going to talk about is, in 2008, Peter Lawwell was tipped to join the set-up at Arsenal. But he knocked that back. Now, personally, I feel he just wanted to stay the big fish in a small pond up in Glasgow at Celtic and have his finger in every pie. But what's your take on that? Do you feel similar to myself? or Actually, I completely agree. I think that decision, based on the information that I've got, is that was a simple choice for Lawwell because if you look at the structure of Arsenal, particularly in 2008, 
I don't know a great deal about now, but I can only imagine with the increased uh, revenue in the English uh, Premier League and just the mad way in which they package their, their finance at these clubs. I mean, you're talking some of those clubs in England have now got hundreds of millions of pounds of debts to service. But you're looking at Arsenal, 2008, turning over £223 million with a profit of £27 million, which on paper sounds like it's good. But at that time, from you know, from my understanding, Arsenal had group debts of something like 300 odd million. Now, if you're a guy like Lawwell and you're comfortable within the confines of Celtic, I mean, let's not forget that guy's been working with Celtic since, what, 1991 as a finance controller. So he understands the, the fabric of the club from a financial standpoint intricately. So he knows um, probably where where's easiest for him to get money out of the club also, which is ultimately the most, I mean, business people, that's the way they look at it, is just where can I get money? <laughs> As you know, there's no, just cr- crudely looking at it to see how they can get the money out of the club. So I think Celtics, you know, the, the turnover Celtic had that year was, what, 70-odd million, 2008, and, you know, again, reasonable profits between, what, four, eight million. So, I mean, these are numbers which, okay, it's not the same amounts as Arsenal, but I think he understands and understood how to manage those situations much easier. Because that Arsenal situation with, you know, servicing 300 million a debt just sounds, I mean, even thinking about it just sounds crazy. Where does that 27 million profit go? Because, I mean, again, my understanding with the way a lot of those English clubs are structured is that you know, there's so many um, mouths to be fed, the board and shareholders, and so it just seems so much of a mess there. So I think I think he's looked at Celtic as cushy, where he can, you know, generally get year on year um, that money out. I think as well, you've you've there's no there's no guarantee he goes to Arsenal and he's a rip roaring success. I mean, you only need to look at Martin Bain and that. Netflix documentary just having an absolute nightmare. I think I think that's the thing. A lot of fans look at these types of guys and think, you know, they are the figures that they're made out to be. You know, I'm sure everyone's seen the the Lawwell memes and him laughing all the time, particularly when Rangers were going through their problems. But then you see, as you've seen with Martin Bain in that documentary, um, was he bought that? But that. What was the unit he bought? Remember, it was like a freeze, a freezer unit, wasn't it? Like ones players can go in. So let's just call it the big body enhancement unit, right? I don't know the name of it, right? But from memory, it cost a few hundred grand, um, and he's bought that for that. This basically had no use for the club, and I think for a lot of these guys, I mean, let's not beat about the bush. There's a massive ego trip here, massive, massive ego trip, and I think. I think there's as much as he would like to have been seen at, at Arsenal, who you know would ultimately consider themselves performing at a higher level. I think he understood that at Celtic he had just he just had everything as I've already said, Kushti. So I, I I absolutely agree with you. I, I I don't think there was ever any danger of him going to Arsenal at that time. One of the things that's came to bite us this season, Mark, particularly is. 
something you also noted, which was the strategy to get as many players in with the potential to sell. But the shrapnel is guys like Soro, Klamala, just being left to rot. The strategy this, this season, Mark, has been all over the place. And there's just no long-term planning. It looks as if Peter Lowell has got very complacent. He's been happy to milk it when we were lording it over Rangers um, and things were all going away. But the first sign of things collapsing and maybe a, a serious challenge, Lowell, like the players on the pitch, have been found severely wanting. And I think he's been so heavily involved over the, the piece with transfers. I mean, I think the ones with John McGinn and Stephen Fletcher are the, probably the two of the more obvious ones where... Um, it seems that his personality and and I think his disregard for uh, other Scottish clubs when it comes to transfers and I, and I think unnecessary bullying when you know it would have probably been more prudent to just pay another five hundred grand or pay another million and just you know speculate to accumulate. So there's that part of it, but then there's then there's the you know ju- just generally the transfers of guys bought specifically with the purpose of selling. I mean, it looks pretty clear that that, particularly under Lennon's last time at the club, was it just seemed like that was that was his his role. Get sign players just to improve them and get them out. You know, I think Wanyama, Gary Hooper. Forced at the time as well. So, you know, you'd you'd a bunch of those situations and I think that that's always been part of um, the rhetoric. I mean if you if you have a look at the the Celtic turnover over the over the piece, you'll see that there's never been any mad um increase. I I, I, mean, I believe in under Rogers was that I think it was the highest because one hundred and one million in twenty eighteen. That would twenty eight. That would include I think Dembele's actually. So that would explain probably why that's burst through the hundred million. But yeah, it seems that a lot of these signings don't appear to be you know you know brought bought in to add to the actual playing squad. It just seems can we get them in, develop them a little bit, and then sell them on. You know, I think obviously we forgot about Virgil Van Dijk. Is obviously after the Lennon era is another huge signing for us, and and sell on. Then you've got guys we're not even given a chance to, and then you know there there is ultimately not going to be a sell on value for those players. But I think provided the sell on value comes from other areas, they'll probably look at it as you know it'll level itself out. When Peter Lowell is described as a good businessman, now putting you in the spot here. You've always denied that and you've always challenged that. But why is it that Peter Lowell, in your opinion, is not a good businessman and a lot of Celtic fans have to stop saying that he is? Well, I think it goes back to... The, like, so there's two there's, there's two differences here, right? There's an entrepreneur and a businessman. An entrepreneur is basically someone who's just started with nothing and taken an idea and then went and implemented that idea, like Alan Sugar, for example. So that's someone that has built something from nothing. Um, so, so generally speaking, I respect most of those people, even if I disagree with them or, or dislike them as people. I respect their achievements. Lawwell is not one of those guys. He's a seasoned he's a seasoned businessman who has worked within financial industries and clearly has done a very good job and he's clearly very astute 
within finance. But this idea that he is some masterful businessman in that kind of entrepreneurial sense, I just don't buy into it. I mean, when you consider the scale of Celtic, I mean, there was, I think it was in 2008 or 2009, according to a Deloitte report, Celtic Football Club are the eighth biggest club in the world for match day takings, right? So you're inheriting that scale of a football club. You know, you're not having to do a great deal of work in order to make this club work, you know, and tick over. I mean, most of the stuff is relatively simple. As I say, I don't see any remarkable commercial deals that he's done. I don't see anything that I would go, wow, if Lawwell didn't do that, Celtic would be like this. I don't see any of that. I mean, maybe I'm completely blinded here, but I'd be shocked because I don't see any of that. And I think when you consider the, um, the 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 amount of money that is kicking around in England, where you know ultimately you can suggest that a lot of these clubs would have somewhat of a right to take some of the bonuses and amounts of money out of those clubs because the revenue that fans bring in are so negligible. I mean, really, you look at clubs like West Bromwich Albion, for example, who from memory have a you know average gates of about 20 odd thousand or something like that you know that that contributes nothing to their turnover because their their costs for those players are so crazy high whereas at Celtic the fans genuinely contribute highly to the turnover of the club which is why I sympathize with every Celtic fan that has a voice and wants to have a voice just now because the fans are keeping the club going. I mean, that's the the. I mean, how much are you getting for the SPL money a year? Last I checked, the prize money distributed um, percentage wise, Celtic get like thirteen and a half percent. So it's like three point five mil. Second place, two point five. So yeah, three point five Celtic is what they get for winning that. And that's outside the TV money. Again, the league prize money though is paid in addition to parachute payments, UEFA solidarity. Betfred Cup prize and TV money, if that helps answer your question. Yeah, so at that point, you know, I mean, you're talking negligible amounts of money in comparison to the English Premier League clubs. You know, when you talk about, when you look at the actual, the, the, the match day income, the merchandise and money, the season ticket money, the Celtic fans are clearly the largest uh, source of revenue for the, the, the club. There's, I mean, I... I it's it's quite clear, and the, which makes this current situation laughable when the product on the pitch is, you know, not so great. I mean, you could argue we should be doing better. That's another conversation. But in terms of the you know the fans having the right to air their view, I'm astounded the the behaviour of Desmond and Lowell, the, the situation with the gates and you know, try to demonise the fans for that, I think it's crazy because the fans are your primary source of income and they're entirely right to be pissed off just now. Absolutely. Personally, I can't imagine a justification for it at all and not even that, but someone on another podcast that I was listening to, I think it was Pod Tim's uh, the other night, were just saying things like, even the fans as well who want to, you know, go a stroll around the stadium, see the brick that they've paid money for at the stadium. Just wee small things. People that are missing the ground still like to go a stroll at Celtic Park and they've been punished for it by a minority of fans that 
had the right to voice their opinion, after which was <laughs> appalling results in the pitch. Again, orchestrated by Lowell, overseen a summer, a complete unprofessional. <laughs> it's, it's so baffling. The interesting thing about 2020 with Celtic, forget about the, you know, the, the, the pandemic. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone has to deal with it. Celtic turnover, as I said, is down from 83.4 to 70.2. So in 2019, 83.4, 2020, 70.2 million. So the profit of 2019 was around 11 million. The profit in 2020 is 100 grand. Now, when you consider that, I mean, I, th- I think everyone's been mentioning, you know, Lowell took 3.5 million. Well, he took 1.2 million as a salary and then 2.3 million as a bonus. By the way, this is the, the astounding part of that is that's around 3% of the turnover of the club. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, it is quite kind of baffling to me. I'm trying to find what value he adds for that type of money. But, you know, and, and there's been various sound bites coming from inside the club saying that he's worth every penny, but I'm failing to see it. But when you consider that that 100 grand is the profit margin for 2020, is he going to take a bonus? Are they going to find a way to still pay him a bonus? I'm curious how they're going to play this. Because if you're Peter Lawwell and you are the greedy man that I think he is, are you going to accept having 1.2 million plus your bonus of 2.3 million and then the following year zero bonus especially when you have a huge ego like he does as well which uh, which is why I'm so interested in what the next what, what this play what is the strategy that they're playing just now are they not sacking Lennon because they think Lennon's going to they'll get to the AGM and the fans will say well you're taking a bonus and um Lennon's been sacked so you've declared those finances for the year, you know, you're, but the finances don't show the costs for paying off Lennon. The finances don't show the cost for paying off the, you know, the the rest of the staff. The, the finances don't show the costs for hiring the new staff, and so on and so forth. So I think there's probably some element of that, but it will be interesting. I have, I mean, I would predict my my own prediction would be that Law will will take a bonus somewhere in there. And they'll disguise it as something else in order to still pay him a bonus, because um, that's typically how most of these businesses are behaving. I'm, I'm sadly, football and my beloved Celtic during these years are also just a business now, ran like a business. That's how they do it. They just hide, you know, the the bonuses within some other cost. To round this off. I just want to ask you here, say he, at the AGM, he announces he's going to stand down at the end of the season, just for talking's sake. My question is, what sort of legacy will he leave at Celtic, in your opinion? See, had he announced that and let Lennon go after the the Ross County game, I think there was a good chance. I think this, they, they, they would have still maintained a decent legacy. I really do. I think this last week has left a lot of sour taste in supporters' mouths, purely because of the fences. But also now, this is a 10-in-a-row season where he had a decision to make. I mean, we, we've not lost it yet, but I think it's going to, it's a mountain clearly, right? 
But there was a decision to make, a really serious, important decision to make that everyone knew he had to make and he didn't make. And he had that one week window where a new man could have came in and they could have done a job. I think that's tainted it. But the bigger, actually the bigger part of it that I think is going to destroy Lawwell's legacy is the way that he's handed, handled the finances in this 10 in a row year. And the fact that he didn't, you know, because Celtic are still operating a small level of debt. For a club like Celtic, it's not, it's, it's manageable. They have a, I think they've got an overdraft. Um, I don't know the exact amount. I think it's up to 15 million or something. If I was Celtic, I would have maxed that out to get 10 in a row in the bag, bought the players we needed to get, secured, um, you know, as happy a, a, a squad as we could, given a rise to the players that were maybe slightly unhappy, get everyone feeling good about this season. But rather than that, he was cutting off the fat. He He's seen an opportunity to get rid of Simunovic. And for, for, for that, I think, unless we miraculously recover and win 10 in a row, his legacy is is going to be burnt. It's just toxic, but it's justified toxic eh, abuse towards Peter Lowell. And frankly, it's just been gross mismanagement by him. I think there's no doubt more to come this season. There's no doubt more to come this week. And until that AGM, it's just going to be such a, a fiery and poisonous atmosphere. And I think Peter Lowell has brought it on himself. But... I have to say, man, thanks a lot for coming on, Mark. It's much appreciated. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. And again, everybody, if you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, uh, rating reviews on iTunes, it would be a massive help. And we'll catch up with you soon. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.